Welcome to episode 34 of the AMT podcast. I hope you're all having a good week as always. This is my sixth four-figure week in a row. So still riding out this gravy train. Going to be a lot tougher to do so this month since the ashes has concluded and test cricket doesn't make a return till the end of the year. Currently trading Goodwood, which is a bit of an overrated festival barring the feature races. So looking forward to Ebor at York in a few weeks time. Anyway, today I want to follow up on last week's episode when I touched on a concept called competitive advantage. And I want to speak more on this because to whoever's listening, if you can figure out certain variables that I'm going to highlight in this video, then you'll save yourself a lot of time, money and energy. A lot of the principles in this video are inspired by the chapter on talent from Atomic Habits, so that's well worth a read. So in life, you want to play games where the odds are in your favor. And I think the first place you should look for answers is in your personality. Now, whether it's genetic, inherent, or learnt, everyone has different tendencies pertaining to their personality. I'm not going to delve into the reasons as to why people are wired the way they are, but let's just accept the fact that our personality dictates to a large extent the things that we like to do and don't like. Now about me, when when I came out of university, my degree was tailor-made for investment banking, which involves a lot of networking, sales, office politics, a lot of schmoozing, daily social interactions with people you like and don't like. Basically, if you're an extrovert who's outgoing and socially confident, you'll be well-adjusted to a job in banking or sales. Ironically, some of the most studious, academically accomplished students um, that I went to university with didn't even make it in this field because they really had no personality outside their studies. In a previous episode on this podcast, I gave an example of a former colleague who was an average student, probably below average, but he was constantly on the move, networking, asking questions, always making his seen and heard. Long story short, he landed a job at a top bank without the necessary grades. Anyway, the reason why I'm highlighting my degree and job prospects that it led to as an example is to demonstrate how it was absolutely unsuitable for someone like me to pursue a career in that field. Whilst I'm socially capable and confident, I'm not the outgoing extrovert type of person. I don't go out of my way to meet and speak to people. If I recognize someone in a room, I probably won't go up to them first just to avoid the awkwardness in case they don't recognize me or they don't reciprocate the small talk. If I was in a group of people and nobody said a word to me, I'd, I'd stay silent the whole time. And whenever I find myself in a large social gathering, I find myself observing the group more than participating in it. I only talk to a handful of people. I keep my circle small and I keep my business private. But having said all that, uh, I am actually a big believer in stepping out your comfort zone. I think in life, you should always throw yourself in uncomfortable situations just to conquer your fears and prove to yourself that you can do anything. And it's, it's an important part of growth. But that doesn't mean you should have to live every day going against your nature by doing things that don't come naturally to you. The point of this episode is how to unleash your full potential by pursuing games where the odds are in your favor. So for someone like me to have to force myself to interact and engage with people I may not even like on a daily basis would have just felt like a chore. So despite enjoying my degree, by the second year, I already knew I didn't want to work for anyone. I'm not obedient. I have a clear idea about what I like and what I don't like. I'm not very extrovert or good at being fake and building rapport with people I don't like. And I like being in control of things from when and where I work to what I do. So when you profile yourself in that sort of way, it becomes very easy to narrow down 
what task or job that you're likely to stick with. So when I stumbled upon sports trading, I knew instantly that I found something that I could stick with for a very long time. It ticked every box for someone like me. I could make money watching sport from home, not deal with people, and there was very low barriers to entry. For the first time, I felt alive. So I think the first question you should ever ask yourself before doing something is, what feels like fun to me, but work for others? Enjoying what you do is arguably the biggest competitive advantage when deciding whether or not you were made to do a task, more so than talent. The reason being is that when you really want, not have to, but want to do something, you're willing to go through pain and failure to get there. Take what I do, for example. 99% of people would find what I do excruciatingly boring. Test cricket is the slowest format, not just in cricket, but arguably all sport. It can take up to 40 hours over the course of five days just to get a result. Sitting idly, watching up to 90 overs a day or eight hours a day requires a lot of patience and discipline that most people just don't have, especially when you have no idea what's happening. I spent hundreds of hours, possibly a thousand, before the pieces of the puzzle finally came together and I was starting to make money consistently. Now just think about who is mad enough to spend that many hours watching something so slow and boring. Whilst the better traders were busy creaming it off the T20 and one-day formats, I had to spend 10 times more time learning to trade something much slower. And whilst it's mentally exhausting, for me, just time flies by when I'm in the zone, trading a good game and making money consistently. Because I was good at it, and I loved it. The time it takes, even during unsocial hours, in the winter wasn't enough to put me off. Now, as for horse racing, it's a lot faster and a lot more volatile. And again, it took me thousands of races before it finally began to click. Now, horse racing doesn't particularly interest me any more than waking up at 2 a.m. to watch Sri Lanka versus West Indies play does. But the lure of making a potentially daily income was enticing enough for me to go through that learning curve, which 99% of people would consider tedious, boring, and risky. But like I said, when you profile what qualities are required to be successful at trading. It's really no different to what any pursuit demands at the highest level, which is the ability to put in countless hours with gaining little to no traction and still enjoy what you do. One of my favorite golfers of all time, Ben Hogan, drives home this point best. He did not have a stellar amateur career. In fact, he grew up dirt poor and went broke several times as a professional golfer. He used to battle a disastrous snap hook and by his own admission was a terrible player. So he made a deal with himself and to his wife that he was going to practice daily from sunrise till sunset every single day. He would practically eat his lunch on the tee box. He would practice up to 12 hours a day beating golf balls until his hands would bleed and he would even play up to 36 holes a day on occasion. Many of his contemporaries say that he practically invented practice. Now he did this for 10 years before he even won his first tournament as a professional. After his first win, it sparked off an unprecedented run in professional golf where he went on to win nine major championships despite a near-fatal car crash in between. He's now widely regarded as the greatest ball striker of all time. He's revered for his single-minded dedication to the sport and his contributions to swing theory. Now, what possesses someone to work that hard for little or nothing to show for such a long time despite not having the amateur pedigree, despite going broke several times, despite not winning for 10 years. Well, Hogan, in his own words, said, practice worked like a charm for me. I just loved to practice, more so than winning tournaments. I couldn't wait till sunrise so I could hit golf balls. Now, practice is the most boring and most tedious part of improving when it comes to golf. It's a task that 99.9% .9 of players begrudgingly do, 
yet he handled the task with absolute joy and fulfillment. It's hard to beat someone who's doing the hard things joyfully. Now, the second question touches back on what I said earlier with regards to personality traits and ability, which is what comes naturally to me. Whenever I felt alive, whenever I ever done a task that feels like it was designed for me, and where am I getting results? that other people seemingly struggle. Now, admittedly, some of this is down to sheer luck. There are people in this world who are not only born with a unique set of abilities, but they're also placed in the right environment, which is primed to unleash their ability to the fullest. Look at Floyd Mayweather, arguably the greatest technical fighter of all time. His father was an elite contender. Both his uncles, Jeff and Roger, were both world champions. What did you think was going to happen when you have a prodigiously talented child with a prodigious work ethic, growing up and training with world champion uncles. Get a legend. Look at Nelly Corder, the world number one female golfer and a major champion. Her sister is a winner alongside her on the LPGA Tour. Her brother is a professional tennis player on the ATP circuit, making millions of dollars. Their father is a former world number two tennis champion and Grand Slam winner. Their mother is an Olympian and a former ATP tennis pro. Is it any wonder that the kids went on to be superstar athletes? Or look at Warren Buffett, the greatest stock market investor of all time. His father was a congressman and involved in the investment business. He educated his son and even took young Warren to the New York Stock Exchange when he was 10 years old. Warren bought his first shares at 11. He was already starting businesses and investing his money at an age when most kids hadn't even decided whether they wanted a scooter or a bike for Christmas. Now, as if learning about investing from your father at that young age was not lucky enough. He just so happened to study at college under the tutelage of the legendary value investor Benjamin Graham, and the rest is history. The most elite achievers not only play to their strengths, but they're also placed in an environment which is suitable to unleashing their ability. And yes, that's luck. Most of us don't have all those breaks. For every Warren Buffett, there's hundreds of thousands of people born with great temperament that's primed for investing or trading, but won't be billionaires. For every Giselle Bunchen, there's thousands of 10 out of 10 girls who you will walk past in the street and sit next to on the train and will never be Victoria's Secret angels. Life is too short. And for most of us, our childhood has already sailed by without even realizing we have a talent. But guess what? You don't have to play the same games as everybody else. If you can't find a game where the odds are stacked in your favor, there is an answer and that is to create one. Which brings me to my final point. If you can't win by being better, be different. Early in my betting journey, horse racing was the first sport that I turned profitable on. And after about six months of being profitable, my profit started to dwindle to a point where I was barely breaking even. It took me almost a year to realize that markets change and were always changing. So my edge had run out. I also realized that there were guys out there with better knowledge, bigger bankrolls, faster pictures, and it became a tiresome process of constantly having to evolve my strategies. So I started to venture out into looking at other obscure markets that other people may have overlooked. And it was there when I stumbled upon Australian horse racing. So long story short, I discovered a very unique and niche method, which allowed me to exploit Australian racing markets for profit on a consistent basis without even watching the race. The money matched on certain tracks in Australia were comparable with the UK racing tracks, but with wider spreads and higher volatility compared to UK racing, where the prices are closely butted together on the back and lay side. And when you couple that with the fact that there's no drones or bots or any shrewd money, whilst everyone in the UK was asleep, I'm picking up easy money 
every race, every weekend. To this day, nothing's changed. Take test cricket as another example. As I said earlier, the better traders are busy making fast money on the shorter 20 over and 50 over formats. Test cricket's just not worth their time since these whales with six or seven figure accounts, they just place one or two bets, set and forget. Because I'm operating at a much smaller scale, I'm able to leverage my account as highly as possible by taking up to hundreds of smaller positions that go unnoticed in the market for five days. And I'm averaging four figures profit per game. So instead of competing with guys better than me, I became specialist in niche areas. The key to surviving and thriving is to have the least amount of enemies possible. That way, there's more for the taking. Take this YouTube channel as another example. YouTube is saturated with plenty of good channels discussing strategy, how to back to lay or later back, unders or over goals market, how not to lose money, etc. There's guys like Khan Berry, who's created his own niche by doing an amazing job detailing the pitfalls of the gambling industry. Then there's guys like Peter Webb, who do a brilliant job discussing strategy and theory. So instead of going head to head with those guys and trying to outdo their content, I carved out my own niche. I figured I'd talk about my own personal journey and the lessons I've learned along the way. I give my own thoughts and feelings on different topics. I even offer a glimpse into the daily reality of someone who does this full time. I've managed to create my own audience because a lot of you can resonate with someone like me as I started my journey on a very similar path as to everyone else. So this is my own very unique way of contributing to the conversation. And finally, there's my live streaming group. There's so many eBooks and training materials out there, but there's nobody as far as I'm aware that's live trading, literally showing their price ladder and every bet they place on a daily basis. It's added pressure. It does require accountability and transparency, but that's a risk I'm willing to take in order to prove that I am about what I say and to show people the reality of how hard this is. And of course, it's a new and interactive way of helping a lot of novice traders. And because my bankroll and strategies are at a level where they're too small to influence the market, my students can also participate in the action without moving the prices so everybody wins. So I've carved out three unique niches from my trading style to my training material right down to this very podcast you're now watching. I didn't even realize at the time that I was creating these niches by becoming specialist in very narrow areas and thinking outside the box. Only now by reflecting, I can look back now and see it. If you can't win by being better, be different. Combine your skills and talents, specialize, eliminate the competition, create your own game and your own rules that favor your strengths. And when you do that, when you establish your very own unique competitive advantage, Work never feels like a chore. If you're good at sales, you don't have to work for a stock brokerage or a big firm where you're competing with tens of thousands of applicants. Teach yourself how to write good copy and pitch your offers to businesses. If you're good with social media, look at the local businesses in your area. Try and find their profiles on social media. If they're slacking or lagging behind, approach them. Tell them you'll handle their online presence for 500 pounds a month. The internet has opened a Pandora's box of opportunities, opportunities you wouldn't believe. There's kids out there literally getting paid 50 to 100K per video on TikTok by brands. KSI, the biggest influencer in the world. He started out by streaming himself playing FIFA and he wasn't even one of the best. In fact, nowhere near one of the best. But because he was so funny, he had an infectious laugh and a big personality, he built a cult-like following of millions of people around the world. He carved out his very own niche without even being the best FIFA player in the world, who most of them you probably wouldn't even heard of. There's a wave of professional golfers out there who will never be good enough 
for tour level. So they specialize in long distance tournaments and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. There's e-girls on the internet selling their bath water for 500K. There's girls buying houses and cars just by selling pictures of their feet. There's girls making six to seven figures a month off OnlyFans. Now, however you feel about those last few from a moral and ethical standpoint is a separate conversation. But the point I'm making is that by combining your skills and your talents and specializing, you can carve out a niche out of absolutely anything. I can give dozens more examples, but you get the picture. Your unique personality traits and genetic advantages don't eliminate the need for hard work. Rather, they point you in the right direction as to what you like, what you'll stick with, and what you'll focus on. Instead of spinning your wheels for nothing by either pursuing endeavors that you're not suited to or where there's too much competition, you can now bear the fruits of your hard work much more easily. So hopefully I've given you guys some food for thought. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share where possible. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.